Welcome everyone to the Predictably Treacherous Podcast. Today's episode is Banachek, To Steal a King. This is episode five-ish of season one. This episode was directed by Louis Antonio and written by Stephen Candle. The original air date was November 15th, 1972. Let's get right to the episode summary. Banachek investigates the disappearance of some coins. That's it. The crime. So Mr. and Mrs. Markham arrive at a hotel that offers suites for guests that require high security. The room has a safe hooked up to police headquarters and with a code that Mr. Markham will set himself. A code for the safe. He has a collection of 10 ancient coins that he is going to auction in a couple of days but he will be storing them until then. After locking the coins in the safe, Markham goes to bed, but when he wakes up and checks on the coins in the morning, they're gone. Columbo crossover. So there's a lot of Columbo crossover in this episode. And I think the timelines are... think the there's a little bit of both so i think some of the characters appeared in colombo before this episode and some of the some episodes of colombo occurred after this episode i don't think it really matters a lot of these detective shows in the 70s i find they there's a ton of crossover and i mean i these two shows were both part of the same like murder mystery what do they call that i talked about it in the first episode of banachek here um uh anyways they rotate shows each week so this is all a part of the same rotation of shows. Or uh, Banachek is, because of the success of Columbo, McLeod, and McMillan and Wife on their rotation, they created a second rotation, which Banachek is a part of. So it's not surprising that they, they share some talent uh, amongst episodes. Anyways, okay, so first guy, Kevin McCarthy, who played Markham um, in this episode, he was in Columbo Requiem for a Falling Star. Um, he actually, the actor had a long career, including tons of movies and TV. He's probably best known for his role in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1956, about alien plant pods that are replacing people in a fictional California town. Some reviewers thought the film was actually a commentary on the conformity of 50s America or of the dangers of the American people turning a blind eye to McCarthyism. Uh, It's maybe a bit of both. Um, That McCarthyism angle, though, sounds a lot like the corporate media of today and the way that they are encouraging the Russiagate conspiracy and the way nonconformists to the Russiagate conspiracy are all, quote, Russian bots. Okay. So Janice Page, who played Mrs. Markham, was in Columbo Blueprint for Murder. Her name was Goldie. So I already did that Columbo episode, so you can go back and check it out from season one of the Predictably Treacherous podcast. So John Finnegan who played Lieutenant Hallahan, was in several Columbo episodes. He's actually been in, it's more than several, it's a lot. 
Um, and he sounds a little bit like this. The combinations are blank, an extra security precaution. It's cleared after each guest has completed a stay. Just punch any three numbers and that'll be your combination. Markham called down to the hotel security at nine. The vault was open a few seconds later. The alarm rang in both the hotel and the police headquarters as it was supposed to. At 9.03, Markham hit the lobby. It takes less than a minute to ride the elevator from the ninth floor down. I timed it. So we had maybe 60 seconds to steal the tent kings and hide them. We have gone over every inch of the apartment and hallway. Nothing, nothing at all. This guy's excellent. It's like a walking cliche of like a New York cop. Punch any three, any tree numbers, and that's yours for the vault. I, I, I obviously I can't do the accent, but um, he's great. You got to have him in your episode. No wonder he's been in so many Columbo episodes. So here are the Columbo episodes he's been in. So, uh, and I'm gonna like this is the original series episodes. Uh, I don't, yeah, you know, I'm not big on the the redo in the in the uh, '90s and and beyond. So he was in Blueprint for Murder. Um, as Carl, he was in the most dangerous match. He was in Lovely but Lethal, and he was in A Friend Indeed. Great episode. He was in Last Salute to the Commodore. He was in Fade into Murder, and then that's from the original series. And then from the new, uh, the redo of Columbo, he was in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven episodes. So quite a lot more. Um, Blueprint for Murder is the one that has. the one with Goldie oh no that's what it is there's a guy named Markham in that episode and it's confusing me because there's a Mr. Markham in this episode um the most dangerous match is what a chess one it's pretty good lovely but lethal is the one that um Kevin McCarthy from this episode also appears in um a friend indeed is a fantastic episode Fade into Murders, one with William Shatter. Anyways, I could go on and on, but that's enough. So what do we have here? So according to Wikipedia, it's a cool backstory. John Finnegan met and formed friendships with Peter Falk and John Cassavetes in New York. And then later, when Finnegan moved to Los Angeles, Falk and Cassavetes helped him land some roles. So Cassavetes and Falk were, were actually really good buddies. Cassavetes also makes an appearance in um, one Columbo episode. It's a fantastic one, too. And he was really good in it. Um, pretty talented guy. He was a director and an actor. And I guess he did other stuff. So, in fact, um, Finnegan appears in... He appeared in five of Cassavetes' films. And including, I guess, these three bigger ones. A Woman Under the Influence, 1974. Gloria... Gloria, 1980, um, and Big Trouble, 1986. Big Trouble. I'm trying to do my New York. It's not working. Okay. So, reviving the tropes. So, I I give Banachek flack for starting some tropes and then walking away from them in some episodes and then coming back to them. So, now I'm going to give them flack for coming back to their tropes, which, uh, so I'm being a bit of a hypocrite here. Anyways, the, the point is they're, they really were trying to revive the tropes in this episode. Um, so Jay's bogus theory. Let's listen to that. Mr. Banachek, this case you're working on, I, uh, well, I got a theory. 
You want to hear about it? All right. Well, uh, first, uh, that agreement we made still stands, don't it? You know, if I ever help you crack a case, I get 10% of your 10%, right? Right. Okay. You ready? You swallowed it. I don't think so. You don't think so? Well, how do you know? Well, for one thing, he didn't jingle. Not a bad clip, though. Sounded pretty good. Okay, next trope. Felix, a wealth of knowledge. Let's listen to it. $100 gold, commemorative 1921, China Republic, Wang Xingkai. Ah, yes. The gold hundred real, portrait of Carlo IV, 1795. All I asked for was your opinion of their authenticity, not a crash course in numismatics. Well, it's difficult to tell whether they're genuine or not from these photographs, dear boy, but there's... Ah, Albert I of Saxony, the Golden Hundred, 1821. It's incredible. Banishek asks Felix to verify the authenticity of some coins from some slide pictures. Like, who, who, what is this Felix? How does he, how would he be able to do this? Is he a coin expert? Like, he, it's not something you're, you know... Like, I don't think you could be a dabbler or read a couple books and you can suddenly tell this. Anyways, that's interesting. Um, okay, the ladies' man, of course. So Sharon Clark is all over Banachek from the moment they meet. Sharon Clark, I think that was her name, is the uh, co-star in this episode. Let's listen to this clip of them walking in the park where this is the first time they met by the way she's holding his arm um yeah so let's listen to the clip i admire their choice and personnel thank you but what was this interesting proposition you're going to tell me i'm sorry i can't tell you yet i'm waiting for a phone call from the bank i thought i would have heard by now will you know by seven yes why well you can tell me then over a drink at my house. Oh. Frightened? Well, should I be? I don't think so, but I don't know what frightens you. Well, let's see. Spiders, bugs of all sorts, muggers, and uh, poverty. Well, then I think you'll be safe. I don't know how safe I'll be. Where do I find you? You staying here? Yeah. I'll send my chauffeur to pick you up at seven sharp. Now, he may scare you a little. Why? He's a rotten driver. <laughs> okay. I'll see you later. Oh, my God. Shameless, shameless flirting with him. She just met him. You don't know this guy. He's some, you're going to go back to his house for drinks with him? He's an elitist prick. He might try and rape you or something. All right. Next one. The Polish proverb. Great-grandfather always felt that failure is the only true crime and stupidity the only moral sin. What would happen if I committed the sin of returning them to the insurance company? All sin is punishable, Mr. Banachek. Is that a threat? Oh, my, yes. Will you be staying for supper? No, thank you. There's an old Polish proverb that says, a wolf that takes a peasant to supper probably won't need any breakfast. No, we're hardly wolves, Mr. Banachek. You're not a peasant, are you? I think we're all close enough to have the proverb hold up. Good day, gentlemen. 
Uh, not a bad little scene. Um, I like how they threatened him and he handled it well. It was nice. Sounded good. Um, next one, physical skill. Another trope. Uh, so now Banachek is back at the hotel. He's asking the manager about permanent residents uh, who live in a hotel that are out of town. He's taken to the 12th floor by the head of security. But in the elevator, the head of security he pulls a gun on Banachek because uh, he's in on the whole the whole jig and Banachek knows um, so they get off the elevator in the back of the kitchen and the guy's taking Banachek somewhere. I don't know if he's going to do shoot him or something, but, and then Banachek, uh, splits. He makes a break for it. Um, it's the guy shooting at Banachek. So Banachek, he's getting shot at and they're in like a little knife fight and they have a struggle in the kitchen. And then Banachek finally subdues him <laughs> by spraying him with the vegetable sprayer, which was a nice touch. I actually, I'm going to give him credit. I like that. It was really good. Very Austin Powers. Um, yes, that was nice. That they they fulfilled my uh, the silly quota for the episode, which is great. Um, they did a lot of trope stuff in this episode. I'm not going to get on them about it. I actually, it's good. Go back to your tropes. You keep hitting it. So you know, some are going to be misses, but um, keep going back to it. Some of them are going to be hits. And people tune in for the tropes, I'm telling you. Um, okay, so all right, Banachek, enough of all this crap. Just gather everybody in a room and explain what happened. And that's what he does next. So now back in Markham's room, Banachek begins the big reveal. Let's listen to it. Well, in order to show you where the kings are, I'm going to reconstruct how they were stolen. This suite belongs to Mr. Blaisdell. He's been away for a month and a half. Ballinger had plenty of time to make some interesting renovations, as you can see. But it's all so perfectly identical. It's not as difficult as it seems. First, all the suites on this side of the hotel have the same floor plan. Second, a hotel doesn't buy furniture for one room. It buys identical furniture and pictures in bulk. Ballinger had no trouble making sure that this suite was exactly a duplicate of the security suite two floors below. But how did the coins get here? When you and Mrs. Markham arrived at the hotel, you were taken to suite 920, and you did put the coins in the real vault. But when you woke up, you woke up here. During the night you were drugged, it was either in the champagne or it could have been administered after you were asleep. Lydia took pictures of the room so she could match the details later. And while you were unconscious, Ballinger carried you up here to room 1120 using the fire stairs. He was big enough to do it. Probably one reason why he was recruited by her in the first place. When you woke up, you naturally assumed you were in 920. Everything was how you'd left it the night before. Every floor has its own telephone box. It was no difficulty for Ballinger to simply make 1120 an extension of 920. After you discovered the coins were gone, you went to the phone to notify the hotel. But the line was dead. Downstairs, Ballinger had taken 920's receiver off the hook. And since the phone on 1120 was simply an extension, it too was busy. And that was essential, because obviously you had to be gotten out of the phony room. Once you'd left, Lydia started gathering up the belongings. She'd become quite expert at moving by now. And of course, she did have Ballinger's help. He left the coins in the phony vault for safekeeping. Because, you see, the point was that while Alan was downstairs reporting the burglary, the real security suite, 920, was again put back in order, detail for detail, since that's where Alan would be bringing the police. It all fits except for one thing. Only Markham knew the combination. Yes. 
that Mr. Markham was dialing it on a phony safe. I think if you examine this, you'll find a small electronic transmitter. Every time he turned that dial, it sent a number down to Ballinger in 920. He was dialing the same three numbers downstairs in your room, just a few seconds behind you. And that's it, Mr. Markham. Only Mr. Markham knew the combination. That's me doing Finnegan. So basically, they uh, pulled the old switcheroo. Um, it's not in the clip, but Banachek mentions that he figured it out because there was an extra towel in one of the rooms. Anyways, um, episode-wise, eh, you don't need to watch this one twice. Once is good enough. Um, but it was fine. You know, like I say, I think I'm a bit overcritical on Banachek sometimes, but they went back to the tropes, which is good. They had a little bit of silliness, which is good. I guess I just, I couldn't really get into, oh, he's investigating them uh, the theft of some coins, like, who cares? Um, I like the wacko, wacko storylines, like go back to, um, let's hear it for a living legend. And a football player disappears on the field and he's investigating this disappearance. That was great. Good premise. Even last episode with, uh, he's looking for the, the money that was, went missing while it's on the casino floor. That was good. That's good. Um, yeah, I guess just I couldn't get into the, the, the heist in this episode. But yeah, the tropes were not too bad. A um, little, little bit silly. Pretty good. Thank you for listening today. Check out the show notes for this episode or any episode on my website at ptpod.xyz. The show notes contain the links to all my sources and products that were referenced in the episode. You can write a glowing review of my podcast on iTunes or Google Play. There are handy-dandy links in the menu on my website at ptpod.xyz. And you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ptpod. The intro music for today's episode was Sweeter Vermouth, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Check out the link in the show notes. Next week on the Predictably Treacherous podcast, we'll continue with Season 1 of Banachek, $10,000 a page where Banachek investigates a stolen book. Buckle up. Thank you.